Do you know what you call a cocktail mixed with one shot of courage, a couple ounces of charisma, two brimming tablespoons of sex appeal, a dash, no, a splash of the absurd? Well, that long, tall drink right here is called Crystal Clear. Just throw in a pinch of parasites with a garnish wedge of bioterror and sprinkle some smart dust on it, and you got yourself a podcast called More Morgulons. Cheers, amigos, comrades, allies, Axies, Americans, Kazakhstanians, Canadianians, and anybody listening in on a VPN from Beijing. And if you think I'm paranoid, then I know you're not keeping up with the intelligence. I'm here to take ownership of my destiny. Because whether you believe it or not, I've got Morgulons, and it's real. Who am I to deny you what I, myself, do not understand? So please be kind, open up your big, beautiful mind like a child. The story I'm about to tell you is wild. And lucky for you, I'm getting it perfectly styled in this Salon de Morgulon. It's going to be a great episode today that expands on my last episode called Data Desert. Check it out, subscribe, review, self-aggrandize, plug, chug, chug, chug. Here, I made you this drink. It's supposed to make you think. It's called a crystal clear, and you're either going to love it or hate it. Most people love it, and I love all of you, even those who are already gone into the rest of us. It's time to get our morgulon on, y'all. I mean, actually, can we get these off of us, out of us, and away from us? That would be great. Anything in furtherance of that uh, goal would be fantastic. Hopefully, probably, maybe this could be one small way of achieving that. At the very least, it gives me relief. I hope it gives you relief to hear from another person living in a crazy sci-fi movie called Morgulons. Mm-hmm. And to the rest of you who are like, what the fuck is this lady talking about? This bitch is a narcissist. And then to the faction who are like, it's a biofilm, there's nothing mysterious about it. It's normal to have glitter hexagons coming out of your face. And, um, okay, we're gonna talk about all that. We're gonna talk about all that. Thanks for letting me share. You're welcome to share. Leave me a voice message anytime. Email me at moremorgulons at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter as well. And we'll see how long that lasts before I get banned. Don't get it twisted. I'm doing that. Not so you can hear more of me yakking, but so that you can yak back. I want to hear from y'all, okay? I'm calling you out. Share your story. Give me your anecdote. And if I get bit by a rattlesnake, give me the antidote. We learned something on the last episode. Go listen to it if you haven't already. It's so good. They're all good, all right? This one's the best yet. You can make believe Like the CDC This is a fake disease But let me appeal What I feel is real You can make believe But you better back it up with data if you're gonna dismiss and defame me Discredit and marginalize me Contest my illness I'm not even ill. I'm just telling y'all, scientists out there might want to know, public health, guardians, stewards. Yeah, there's like weird fucking shit coming out of my face with lesions that don't heal. That's all. That's it. Okay? Just wanted to tell you that. It's real. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, welcome back. Hopefully you've already heard the previous episode called Data Desert. This is a follow-up on that episode and an expansion of the ideas introduced therein. All right, remember we talked about ascending the scientific stairway up to the most probable provisional truth that we could arrive at through the scientific method and the data available to us. Well, I just want to clarify one important point. When we get to the top of that stairway, we are coming not to the top of the structure, we are coming to a landing. Because as we know, all throughout history, every truth has been overturned. If we go into the scientific house of physics, we can ascend the stairs and come to the first landing and find Newton. If we ascend the second set of stairs, we will come to the landing and find Einstein. So. No matter what we think we know now, we must always understand that science is not a linear, finite journey with a destination that is final. It is an ongoing community effort that is unending. So any scientist, any non-scientist out there who believes that they know the truth capital T, period, end of story. I'm sorry, but history would dictate that you are, in all likelihood, absolutely wrong. Now, does that mean that we have to dismiss everything? Gravity is just a theory that could be overturned. I don't think so, guys. If it is, great. I can save a lot of money on Botox. But until then, We have to accept some very strongly established scientific theories at face value, unless something majorly disruptive comes along to change our understanding or view of the established science. But when it comes to Morgulans, there is no established science. There's a little bit of research here and there. Most of it is bad. Most of it characterizes Morgulans disease as a subcategory of delusional parasitosis. The small body of research created by the Charles E. Holman Foundation establishes some evidence to support other theories, non-psychogenic theories of Morgulans. And when I say psychogenic, I mean originating from the psyche, aka it's all in your head. So while there is some research that has been done by the research team associated with the Charles E. Holman Foundation that establishes a link between Borrelia burgdorferi, the causative agent of Lyme, and Morgulans disease. That is what we would say is an observational study. So it's pretty strong evidence, but not as strong as what? What's up the next there? Experimental studies, clinical controlled drug trials. So, but observational studies are still compelling. And I don't have any issue with the claims made that Morgulans patients, the vast majority of them, have Borrelia burgdorferi bacteria in their wounds. That may be true. What is also true is that neither I nor anyone else I personally know that has Morgulans has tested positive for Lyme disease or has any of the other associated symptoms of Lyme disease. But um, that doesn't mean that it's impossible that there's an association between Borrelia Borrelia and the development of Morgulans. But here's the thing. Correlation and causation are two different things. I myself and others that I've spoken with have had 
their lesions scraped and tested in the same way, culturing. Culturing is just exactly what I said, putting a little bit of bacteria on a plate of bacteria food, putting it in a hot place for a few days and letting them multiply like crazy and then testing them. So that's a culture. So a lot of us have had cultures of our wounds and the results have come back not showing Borrelia. So while there may be some correlative link between Lyme disease and Morgulans disease, they're two different diseases. The chief criteria for diagnosis of a disease has to be something that every single person that has the disease has in common. So what does pretty much everyone who has Morgulans have in common? Lesions with the presence of fibers hair-like protrusions, specks, glitters, etc. at all. So what makes Morgulans Morgulans? Um, it's the Morgulans. I've been saying that for two years and I'll keep saying it because if Lyme disease was associated with fibers and glitters, well then people would have been talking about that when Lyme disease was reported to officials for the first time in the 80s in Lyme, Connecticut. No one ever mentioned that. No one ever mentioned fibers, specks, glitters, this whole time. And mainly people have started getting Morgulons. They started getting Morgulons around like 2000. Um, maybe that was just coinciding with the development of the internet, but you know, Lyme disease didn't spread because the development of the internet. It spread because it was a new and emerging pathogen that was spreading. And now it's the number one infectious disease in the country. So Morgulons did not spread through the internet as a mass delusion. If it did, I find it very unusual that this mass delusion is not culturally specific. Usually when you see um, instances of mass delusional psychogenic illness, it's very culturally specific. Like there was a uh, mass delusional illness in, I think it was Japan, uh, where men thought that their penises were gonna shrink up into their bodies. There's a special name for it. I cannot remember it, but Morgulans is not a culturally specific American or Canadian phenomena. This show, More Morgulans, it's number eight on the podcast charts in Kazakhstan. Hey, Kazakhstan, didn't even know that you were a real country, but I'm so excited that you are and that you love the show. Keep listening. Um, but yeah, there are 75 and counting other countries that tune into More Morgulans, which tells me that there are more Morgulans than perhaps previously thought all over the world, okay? All over the world, except for perhaps China, where it was invented. No, I don't know that for sure, but but hopefully we'll get more answers about the likelihood that this could be a bioweapon in season nine when I do my true crime season. Yes, that's right. Y'all gotta hang in there for that. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, this is when we go to the top of all the world charts and everybody's talking about Morgulans. And um, yeah, it's exciting. Just hang in there, guys. If anybody wants to get a leg up on that, help me do the research, please. If you know how to submit a Freedom of Information Act request to the CDC, to the Department of Health and Human Services, to the Armed Forces, well, I don't know if that would work because I know the Freedom of Information Act only applies to government agencies. But anyway, I'm just saying, there's a lot of data desert out there in the landscape of Morgulon's research. 
The typical kind of Morelands research you'll see out there is something like this paper I just found that was uh, published in June of this year, very recent, came out of Iraq, which is interesting. Iraq is one of the countries on my listener country list that's always up there, high up there on the list, surprisingly. Um, I would assume maybe it's because... I don't know, a bunch of Americans invaded Iraq a couple times in the 90s and in the 2000s. And maybe when we came over there, we were dropping mortalons around and then other people got it. I have no idea. But I found this paper to be a perfect example of the typical bad science that is done in Morgulon's research. Um... This study is called Delusional Parasitosis as a Tactile Hallucination Handled by Dermatologists. Tactile hallucinations, folks, those are hallucinations of the sensory ability of touch, right? Auditory hallucination would be you have a problem with your hearing and you are hearing things that other people don't hear. Maybe that's not a problem. Maybe that's a gift. I don't know. But um, but y'all get me. Auditory hallucinations are the absolute, by far, most common hallucinations. Tactile or touch sensation hallucinations, very, very rare. But um, this is written by a couple of authors, Khalifa Abid Sharki, Maha Suleiman Yunus. Sorry for butchering those names. But uh, these folks, um, the first one, is from the Department of Dermatology, College of Medicine, University of Baghdad, Center of Dermatology, Medical City Teaching Hospital in Baghdad, Iraq. And the second one, the second author, Eunice, is a Department of Psychiatry, College of Medicine, University of Baghdad, Iraq. So I believe they're both MDs. Um, here, let's just go through the abstract because we're going to apply what we learned in the last show, the last episode, about evaluating the credibility of our evidence. This says abstract background. Delusional parasitosis is a false, unshakable belief that pathogens have infested one's own skin or body. Objective. The objective was to record all patients with DP, delusional parasitosis, a rare presentation of monosymptomatic delusion in Iraq. So DP, delusional parasitosis, is a quote, monosymptomatic delusion. What does that mean? It means that mono, one symptom, there's only one delusion. That these people that have DP, supposedly, they're completely mentally healthy in every single way. They aren't crazy. They aren't on drugs. They just have this one delusion. That is extremely rare in psychiatry. Usually people that have psychiatric dysfunction, it's a lot more global than just one symptom. Very unusual, very rare. <laughs> um, so this was a descriptive study of 21 cases diagnosed with DP in Medical City Teaching Hospital in Baghdad, Iraq between 2013 and 2021. So a descriptive study is an observational study, right? They didn't intervene with these patients. They did not do any experiments on them. They just observed and they described a descriptive study of 21 cases, so 21 anecdotes, okay? Very small sample size. 21 is not a good N. N is the symbol that is used in research to represent the number of people that were in the study. So our N is 21. Let's go back to the CDC study. Their N was about 70, and their N for actually histological studies that they did 
uh, was 12. So also not a good sample size to establish strong data. So, and we have a time frame, a temporal time frame of which we are looking at these patients, these 21 anecdotes from patients that had quote unquote delusional parasitosis subcategory quote unquote Morgulans, okay, 2013 to 2021. A detailed history and clinical examination were conducted to exclude organic disease. Okay. <laughs> a detailed history. So a detailed history is just me being like, so what brings you here today? And then the patient's talking. That's the detailed history. And um, the, what did they say? And a clinical examination. A clinical examination, um, that is what we would call a physical assessment in nursing. You listen to their heart with your stethoscope. Um, you might check their pupils for appropriate you know, dilation. But this is not like, hey, we're going to take your skin samples and rule out an organic cause of this disease because we're going to um, you know, put these histological samples to a battery of tests to try to determine if there is an organic pathogen causing this. Um, no, that was not done, people. So when you see uh, a detailed history and a clinical examination, it means uh, we talked to uh, we talked to them and we looked at them. Of course, we already had a fixed belief that this was delusional parasitosis, so um, we didn't actually rule out organic uh, disease. But going on, we will ignore that because mm, we are bad researchers. Results: all patients were female with a mean age of 65 years. They believed strongly to have pathogens in their skin or scalp carrying containers with samples of skin debris, fibers, dead insects, hair waste, and small stones as proof of their infestation. Also known as the matchbox sign. Did you subject those things to clinical examination to rule out organic cause? No. So, so far, what do you think about this observational descriptive study? You can see that even though the category itself should be a pretty reliable, fairly strong level of evidence that we would obtain from a source like this. When we dig into the actual study design, what we see is that yes, this is an observational study, but it only observed 21 people. That's a very small sample size. And the exclusion of actual organic disease was established by inadequate methods. This doesn't mention anything about taking histology samples, submitting them in a battery of testing to ensure that there weren't actual parasites, pathogens, or physical phenomena that would better explain the reports and the symptoms of these patients, okay? So um, everybody was doing the matchbook sign. That pretty much already made up everybody's mind that was researching this because that's part of the catch-22 bullshit mindfuck that is psychiatry um, and DP. But careful psychiatric assessment ruled out schizophrenia, ruled out substance use disorders, and dementia improved the psychiatric diagnosis of monosymptomatic delusion. Okay, so they're not crazy, they're not on drugs, they're not demented. How does that prove that they have a monosymptomatic delusion when you didn't actually take any of the 
biological evidence that they brought for you to examine and examine it. You didn't do that. You didn't take any skin samples from them. So this is just, this isn't logical, rational. It's just not rigorous or robust, okay? The patients described their symptoms as something crawling, stinging, and biting sensations. On examination, we often saw shaved scalp hair with injured skin in the form of excoriations, ulcerations, scarring, and pyogenic infections in a localized area. So my question would be, really? Well, I've worked with um, child and adolescent behavioral health patients my entire career as a psychiatric nursing director, and I've seen a lot of self-mutilation, guys, and I mean a lot. Our children these days, at least in America, they are really troubled, and they are hurting themselves. Self-mutilation, I will never forget, early in my career, before I was a director, I was working at a psychiatric residential treatment facility, and I was assigned to be the case manager and charge nurse over um, our two most difficult uh, units, most uh, sick kids that were at the hospital. And there was this one girl who had a self-mutilation habit. And I remember one time throwing an absolute fit because the staff somehow left this child unattended for long enough for her to make 99 cuts on her body. I counted them. Cut. I counted them all over her arms, legs, stomach. You know where they weren't? Her scalp. Because the scalp is one place I have never, ever, never seen anyone self-mutilate. People don't self-mutilate their scalps. They just don't. <laughs> it's not a thing. They do their limbs, their legs, their stomachs, their thighs. No one self-mutilates their scalp. And it is a very rare exceedingly rare to see self-mutilation on the face, especially by someone as vain and good-looking as I am. But anyway, so already we're talking about something incredibly rare, even by their own admission, a monosymptomatic delusional disorder. Most people that have any delusion are going to have lots of delusions, and they probably aren't going to be super high-functioning um, people. They probably have other mood disruptions and behavioral disruptions and cognitive uh, disruptions. Schizophrenia is a language processing derangement and thinking disorder. If you've listened to this show at all, or if you know anyone with Morgulons in your life, you should know that um, we don't have any problem expressing ourselves or thinking. I mean, we might have brain frog. You talk to somebody with Morgulons and I mean, they may talk your ear off about all the crazy shit that's happened to them, but it's not like talking to a schizophrenic person where you're just trying to follow along and getting completely lost in the word salad that is being offered up to you. Okay. That is not the case. So exceedingly rare, very, very rare. Study describes a single tactile hallucination of some sort of pathogens infesting their skin. It is commonly a disease of the scalp of elderly females that runs a chronic course and rarely remits in a short time. Proper liaison between dermatologist and psychiatrist assisted by laboratory facilities is required for diagnosis and follow-up, empathetic rapport, psychiatric referral, and early treatment by atypical antipsychotics significantly improves 
most probable provisional truth, well, you would need a body of experimental studies, clinical drug trials. To my knowledge, and I am pretty sure about this, there has never been even one single clinical controlled trial proving that antipsychotics of any generation were effective at remitting the symptoms of Morgellons disease. If you have that research and you want to bring it to me, please share it. I'm just after the truth, not a confirmation of my own biases. Speaking of, let's go into this paper a little bit. Introduction. Delusion is a false fixed belief strongly held by a person in contradiction to a logical conversation. Basically impossible to prove or disprove, but okay. It may be bizarre or rational and primary or secondary to numerous physical and mental disorders or substance abuse. So if a delusion is secondary to another condition, such as schizophrenia, such as Alzheimer's disease, or Parkinson's, or COVID, and if you don't know what is causing it, and if it's not caused by something else, including substance abuse, then it's a primary delusion. Delusions presented solely or associated with perceptual disorders of any sensory modality are hallucinations, which may be presented without delusions in functional and organic psychosis and substance abuse. So let's break that down. Delusions presented solely, so just monosymptomatic, I am completely sane except for this one delusion, or associated with perceptual disorders of any sensory modality, so vision, hearing, taste, smell, and touch. So if you have a single delusion associated to the combination of those two things, one delusion combined with one hallucination, and then it says, which may be presented without delusions. Oh, what do you mean? Like when we come to the doctor with our evidence and present it to you saying, I don't know what this is. Can you help? You mean like that kind of? Yeah, I think that's what they mean. They're saying that when that happens, that the cause is usually functional or organic psychosis, meaning it's probably not all in their head. So how they reached the conclusions they reached about the nature of these 21 patients, I don't know because by their own definition, we're looking at a group of people who just don't fit the profile for a monosymptomatic delusional disorder. They fit the profile of people who, if indeed these are delusions, which we don't know because we didn't do any test to establish um, what the fuck the things were that they were bringing us in their matchboxes, uh, we decided to use that as evidence that they had a delusional disorder. Since we didn't test those objects, since we didn't test the skin samples, the scalp lesions, um, we are going to conclude that they have delusional parasitosis, even though we're saying that if you present with one, with one hallucination of a tactile variety in the absence of substance use, in the absence of delusion, then you're probably not dealing with something psychosomatic. You're dealing with something somatopsychic. Auditory hallucinations are the most common type of functional psychotic disorders, particularly schizophrenia, while others, visual, gustatory, olfactory, and tactile, are often associated with organic disorders, including substance intake. They have said themselves that these 21 patients that they uh, analyzed for this descriptive study had no substance use. So we can rule that out. <laughs> and they have somehow ruled out organic disorders, but they do not say how. So. Singular types of delusions are not commonly encountered in psychiatric consultation clinics. However, 
Eliciting these is a pivotal step for proper management, being chronic with medical and psychiatric complications. Among these, among those is delusion of parasitosis, DP, or a delusion of infestation, DI, wherein patients have a fixed belief of harboring, um, this says inmates, so yeah, I know English is a second language, but come on guys, harboring inmates? No. Namely, insects, worms, larvae, mites, bugs, lice, flea, or parasitic organisms on or beneath their skin or infesting muscles, joints, or internal organs. Again, I would just say, <laughs> this is ridiculous. You can't claim that the cause of my lesion is from scratching and excoriation. Were you there? Did you sit with me over the past uh, two years and watch frame by frame filming each lesion as it erupted on its own spontaneously? Yeah. I got my tweezers out. I picked at them a little bit, but only after they had erupted. The lesions formed not from scratching, not from excoriation, but from an unknown cause. I would assume it would be the foreign objects agitating my skin and eliciting my immune system to expel these foreign objects from my body as it is supposed to do when it is working correctly. So the reason why, quote, DP, patients go to dermatologists instead of psychiatrists is because they're having physical symptoms, not psychiatric ones. Okay. The psychiatric symptoms I would hypothesize are secondary, not to the actual physical condition, but rather to the psychosocial conditions in which sufferers have to suffer from this condition where they are dismissed, denied, and defamed without evidence by doctors that they go to for help, along with perhaps friends and family, which is enough to make anyone feel crazy, anxious, sad, and depressed. If not, that's not a normal human response to being socially ostracized, dismissed, denied, and defamed by the very people that they have gone to seeking answers and help. It's very lonely. So if there are psychiatric comorbidities, quote unquote, to Morgulons, I would just make a small adjustment to that statement. I do not think that there are psychiatric comorbidities because that would suggest that it is somehow a pathological state to react normally with human emotions that are entirely appropriate to the uh, Job-like situation that Morgulon sufferers find themselves in when they get Morgulon's disease. So yeah, I think I had some full-blown OCD when I first got this as I was cleaning and scrubbing meticulously every square inch of the space I occupied. However, I didn't have a comorbidity of OCD. Anybody who had fucking thousands of worms showing up everywhere from their goddamn bed sheets to their refrigerator would be going a little nutso trying to clean them if they thought that cleaning them would help them get rid of the infestation. Of course, in my experience, it doesn't, but it was still rational to think that. Well, so I'd love to continue discussing this ridiculous 
study out of Baghdad about Morgulons that was published in June 2022, but we are running out of time. And there's a couple more things that I have to tell you guys about. If you want to check that out, though, that article is on ResearchGate. So, um, so speaking of research, as I mentioned in the last episode, I am working on a little research project myself inspired by some of the emerging data that I'm starting to see come out of um, the crowdsourcing website about Morglons and other conditions that I recently discovered and which now has 1,800 and counting members of the Morglon community, which is awesome. Um, but one of the oversights I feel the creators of this uh, AI algorithm and or website uh, one of the oversights that I've identified is that there is no information gathering or analysis being done that would allow us to get an accurate head count on the morgies currently to look at the geographic distribution of cases over time a temporal geo hot map, if you will, similar to maybe some of the COVID hot maps you might see in the New York Times or any other publication you read that tracks COVID uh, cases, mortality, morbidity. Morbidity is sickness, mortality is death. That's just those terms to clarify if anyone was confused. I was when I first heard them. But um, yes, I want a morgy hot map and I'm going to make one. So I need something from you guys. Um, there's two ways that you can reach out to me if you want to help with this research project. Uh, one way is to email me at moremorgalons at gmail.com. The information I would like for you to email minimally, please feel free to drop me a line and say anything you want um, about your morgalons or about the show. But the information that I need from a hot map is what month and year did you catch morgalons? And I know that's a tricky question, you guys, because... A lot of us feel like, well, you know, I noticed the symptoms in 2020, but maybe it all started back in 2015. I've said that on the show before. But for the purposes of my hot map, I just want to know when the lesions with foreign materials extruding from your skin, whether they be fibers or specks or fluffs or glitters, when that symptomology, the chief diagnostic criteria for morgulons, when that started, month and year and also your location at that time of onset. I'd love to have other demographic information about you, um, any kind of theories that you have about potential exposures that led to your morgulons or if someone you knew caught it before you got it. I'd love that information. But minimally, if you're a busy person, and I know we all are, and you want to help but you don't have a whole lot to give, one thing you could just give me is shoot me an email, moremorgalons at gmail.com. Tell me the location, as in the city and the country, as well as the month and the year that you got morgalons. That would be helpful. The other way you can contact me is through that website, the crowdsourcing website, Stuff That Works. I have a profile on there as a member, crystal clear, and you are welcome to send me a direct message with that information. Um, I've already started collecting that data. Uh, my sample size, my N, is too small. I want something better than what the CDC did, uh, better than what the Iraqis did in this study. I want a good, robust sample size to get an idea of where people are when they got morgulons. For instance, I've been making a lot of claims about Saharan dust carrying pathogens in the atmosphere 
to NATO countries such as COVID, such as monkeypox, and such as perhaps morglons. Well, there's an easy way to begin testing that theory, that hypothesis, isn't there? Find out if there's a correlation between the temporal and geospatial distribution of morgulons and the activities of the Saharan air layer as it migrates across the world. If all the data that I gather shows that, nope, these are out of sync, this doesn't line up, then you know what? You can trash my Saharan dust theory for good. Hell, I'll go back and erase the episodes even if the data blows it out of the water, because I don't want to spread disinformation or misinformation. That is not at all my aim. I really want to find out what Morgulons is and how to get rid of it, because um, I'm fucking sick of this. And I know you are too. So if you, like me, are here to take your destiny into your hands, away from the unlucky fate that has befell us all in getting Morgulons, then the first step in doing that is getting data, climbing that science staircase so we can get at least to the first landing of most probable provisional truth. Because I can tell you one thing almost for certain, Morgulons is not a monosymptomatic delusional disorder. I don't have a monosymptomatic delusional disorder. I question if that is even really a thing ever because it sounds highly unlikely and unlike everything else in the DSM. But even if it is a delusion, and that's a big fucking if, but even if it were, I, as a nurse, as a person, as a patient, as a pseudo-amateur scientist, but for sure a bona fide, rational, thinking, logical, curious person, would love to know why there's this whole uh, subset of the population who have no mental health history of psychosis, but suddenly have an acute onset occurring sometimes in clusters of a monosymptomatic delusional disorder accompanied by self-mutilation behaviors of the scalp and face as well as body. That just sounds so far-fetched. Listen, I got mostly anecdotes, but I am an expert on one thing. And that is the field I have been working in as a professional for the past seven years in psychiatric hospitals with psychiatric patients, observing the manifestations of all the diseases in the DSM. I have never in my life ever seen a psychotic or delusional person presenting with tactile hallucinations and self-mutilating their scalp. That just doesn't ring true to me, guys. There's got to be a better, most probable provisional truth. And we are going to find it. And I so appreciate your help, your contribution, because I can't do it alone. Science is never done alone. It's an ongoing community effort. So let's take our health and our data into our own hands and away from these delusional doctors so that we can get some answers, some treatments, and a cure. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to hearing from you all and stay tuned.